There's a lot of conversation in our culture today that says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Oprah Winfrey famously said this a number of years ago. He said, she said, there are millions of ways to be a human being and many ways, many paths to God. And her path might be something else. And when she gets there, she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. In essence, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. So, culture would say it doesn't matter if you believe in Christian God or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Native American or Unitarian or Oneness Pentecostal or Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses. Anything goes as long as you really try to be loving and generous and kind and everything else. That is deeply ingrained in our culture today. However, that is not a biblical stance, nor is it a logical stance. You know that it is not logical, and let me just give it to you with a very simple example. This is hypothetical, by the way, because I don't want to receive flack. A wife is a wife is a wife is a wife. It really doesn't matter what wife you think about because they're all interchangeable. Now, like I said, that was hypothetical. <laughs> all, all the wives are nudging the husbands right now, but let's just reverse it. A husband is a husband is a husband. It doesn't matter what husband you know or think about because they're all interchangeable. Look, if you actually said that, one of you is going to end up sleeping on the couch, right? And if it continues on, it's going to get worse, isn't it? And might end up something with what we call divorce. See, your spouse wants you to know them intimately, who they are. And unless you know them intimately, you cannot honor them. You cannot have that full relationship with them. The same goes with God. We need to know who God is to have a full relationship with God, to be able to honor him, to be able to praise him, to be able to glorify him. See, to be in true communion with God is to know who he is. And today is Trinity Sunday. And thus we are going to learn more about our God, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not three gods, but one God. So let's talk about one God for a moment. That we believe in one God is clearly laid out in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it's called the Shema. Shema means to hear. But it's not just the physical aspect of hearing. It is to take in, to pay attention. So it says, hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. Now, this is reiterated specifically in the New Testament because one of the teachers, one of the scribes came up to him, to Jesus, and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the most important is, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He reiterated that. It would be as if today we said, Shema, Joy Church, the Lord your God is one. So why is this important? Why is that important that we believe in one God? It is because in contradiction to all of the other pagan religions and all of the other religions of the world, they often believe in multiple gods. This was true in the Old Testament. They, were, they believed in a variety of gods. Also, here you go. The Greeks had many different gods. There was Zeus, Apollo, Dionysus, Arius, so forth. The Romans also believed in many gods. The Hindus believe in over 300 million gods. They are called polytheistic religions, poly being many, and theism or theist gods, many gods. But here's something I bet you didn't know. The Mormons are also polytheists. Yes, the Mormons are. They have more gods than the Romans' gods. They might have as many gods as the Hindus might have. They might have even more than hundreds of millions of gods. How is that? Well, listen to this. First of all, they believe that God, the Father to whom they pray, was not eternal. God was first a mere mortal that, worshiping another god... Ultimately, he became God himself. From one of their teachings, it's called the Doctrine and Covenants, one of their basic books, it says this, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. He progressed to Godhood and received a glorified body through his obedience to the same gospel principles that the LDS Church teaches today. So a well-known couplet from the fifth president of the Mormon church says this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. God was once a human being like us, and we can become a divine being like God is now. So when Mormons say they are one God, no. There are many, many gods. So against all of this, the Lord God said, there is one God. All right, for those going back to the Ten Commandments, what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So we find this in Exodus chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then it goes on in great detail. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I and for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the, on the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And thus we easily declare we are monotheists, mono being one, 
one God. Now, how do you describe God? How do you describe God? What is the essence of God? Essence, that which is essential for its existence. For example, if it did not have that particular thing, it would not be that. Water. All right. Chemistry class. What's water? H2O. Okay. So if you are thirsty, you want H2O, just plain old water. But did you know if you add an extra molecule, H2O2, you get something you find in the drugstore, hydrogen peroxide. It looks just like water, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, you can even put this in your mouth. It actually says for uh, oral debriding agent. Okay, well, there you go. Now, you could actually put this in your mouth, but what happens if you drink a whole glass of this? You will get very, very sick, right? Because it is not water, even though it looks like water, even though it has some of the same things of water, it is not water. There is either God or not God. There is no such thing as a somewhat God. So how do you describe... You were wondering if I was going to drink it, weren't you? Okay. So, there are what we call attributes of God. That was essential to God, His nature. And if you remember, so is omnipotent. Omnipotent means what? All-powerful. Omniscient, all-knowing. So, by the way, can God make a rock bigger than he could throw? No, he can't. Because that would be something more powerful than him. Okay, I just thought, you know, sometimes people want to do that one. Is God ever surprised? Like, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, because he is all-knowing. Omnipresent. Is there anywhere where God cannot be? God is everywhere. Was there ever a time when God was not? No, he is eternal. By the way, if you want, there are scriptures that go along with all of this. Immutable. Who remembers what immutable means? unchanging. God does not change. This is in contradiction to progressive Christianity, which says God has evolved. No kidding. God has evolved. God does not change. Now, those are some of the basic ones, but there are others that Scripture says what God is. And this is not a complete list. God is truth. All truth comes from him. There is no lie associated with God. He is holy, which means he is pure. He is just and righteous. He is loving and merciful. He is uh, also gracious. Remember this past spring, we did a whole series on loving, merciful, and gracious God. This is the essential attributes of God. If you change any one of these, it's not God. 
It is that clear. It is not God. It may look like God. It may smell, taste, you know, just like the hydrogen peroxide. But I guarantee if you digest it, it has dire consequences for you. God, not God. So, one God, the essence of God, and we've listed some of them, not all of them. But now we say three persons or the Trinity. One God, three persons. Trinity in a literal sense means triunity. Now, some people will object and say, well, you know what? You Christians, Trinity isn't in the Bible. And to that I say, so what? Like that's an argument? We use that word to describe what the Bible says. So if anybody uses that argument on on you, just go, so what? We use that word to describe what the Bible says. Now, what does it say about person? Let's talk about this one. A person is someone who is a distinct, separate identity. There are three persons of the Trinity, correct? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are distinct in identity. From our reading from Matthew, we are told specifically to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, three persons. We also see that Jesus prayed to the Father. The Father spoke from heaven above, and the Spirit was there as well. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all at once. We also see that the Trinity has distinct and separate roles, and they help identify each person of the Trinity for us. The Father planned salvation. The Son accomplished it on the cross and the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit applies it to the lives of the believers. Yet we do not confess three gods, do we? We confess one God. So each person has the same essence of God. God the Father is God. Throughout Scripture, we find his essential nature, his attributes. Job has a wonderful reading. God is speaking. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? God is declaring his power, his majesty, his sovereignty. And we are to worship God the Father. Jesus told the woman, do you remember the woman at the well, the Sumerian woman? He said this, He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So the Father receives glory and worship. Who else would receive glory and worship other than God? 
So most people understand that, by the way. They got God the Father as God. But now you have God the Son, who is God, fully God. From our reading today, and it would behoove you, if I can use that word, to really look at this verse. This is from Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 16. For by him, and it's speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God, not just a little bit of the fullness of God, but the fullness of God. So all of those attributes we just went over dwell in him. By the way, if you just want an easier one, go to Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with him. Jesus himself also claimed that he was Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name that God gave. Now, how did he do that? If you remember John chapter 8, he said to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. There's that statement, I am. Before Abraham was, he did not say before Abraham was, I was. No, he said, I am, which is the name of the self-existent God that God told Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Now, why did the Jews want to stone Jesus? Because he was equating himself directly with God. Not lower than God, but God. That's why they wanted to stone him. Also, finally, I, I, regarding Jesus, uh, it's only God who we're supposed to worship, right? But if you read our reading from Matthew today, chapter 28, what did the disciples, what did the uh, uh, apostles do? They worshiped him. It doesn't say they praised him, they worshiped him. So that's either blasphemy or he is God himself. And we just did a whole section on the Holy Spirit where I delineated a bit about why the Holy Spirit is God, but he is associated with God the Father in creation. He is involved with other members, other persons of the Godhead in the work of redemption. He also is associated with the name of the Trinity, baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Paul understood this in his benedictions. He said this in 2 Corinthians the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So now we have one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here it is. And this is what you actually read in the Athanasius Creed. This is what you professed. 
it says that the Father is God, and the Father is not the Son. The Father is God, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is God, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, and is not the Father, and is not the Son. One God, three persons. In essence, we have one what and three who's. And while you can distinguish them, you can't separate them. You can't say, here's the Father, here's the Son, a little bit lower, which is what people want to do, and somewhere else there's the Holy Spirit. Now, raise your hand if this makes your head hurt a bit. Does mine, I don't know about you, and I've been studying this for hours. See, a lot of people have trouble with this, and thus they try to explain it in many different ways. Let me tell you just a little bit. There are the oneness churches and Unitarian churches. They accept that there is one God, but they reject the Trinity. They say that there is one God who manifests himself in different modes, such as sometimes he will appear as the Father, sometimes he will appear as the Son, sometimes he will appear as the Holy Spirit. One God, but different modes. That's a heresy that's called modalism. So there are churches out there today that still promote this particular heresy. This is also why I have not used any analogies or examples today, if you want to notice that, because people will say, well, the Holy Trinity is like a clover leaf. No, then you get into modalism. Or, oh, no, 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 it's not like the clover leaf. Uh, it's like water. There's water, and then there's ice, and there's, there's steam. That, again, is modalism. Oh, no, 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 no. What about, well, there's a man who is not only a grandfather, he's a father, and he's a son. Do you understand that that's modalism, too? It's a variation of that. It's just they fall flat. So that's why any analogy you use for the Trinity often just falls into heresy. What about Jehovah's Witnesses? By the way, they confess one God, so they would say we're monotheists, but they deny the Trinity. They believe that Jesus is a created being and that he is also Michael, the archangel. This heresy stems from a guy named Arius and what Arius said, there was a time when he was not. There was a time when Jesus was not. The Nicene Creed that we confess once a month, because I want to make sure we have that, combats specifically the Arius, the heresy of Arius. This is why we say, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. That little last phrase, one substance with the Father, that word is the essence, the same essence. Well, what about Mormonism? Well, we already found out that they, are, they reject, by the way, they reject monotheism, and they have polytheism. By the way, in their view, Jesus, a created being, is also the brother of Satan. Finally, what about Muslims? Muslims also reject the Trinity. They say there's no one God but Allah, 
which is the word for God. And in their view, Jesus was a created being, a man who is a prophet called by God, but he is a lesser prophet than Muhammad. So if you did a hierarchy, Jesus is about here, and then you get Muhammad at the very top. Do Muslims believe in the same God? No, they don't, do they? Jehovah's Witnesses? No, they don't. Mormons, Oneness, Pentecostal, Unitarians, Hindus. We do not believe in the same God. Now, you might have a reaction like this so far. Or it might be like this. Well, it was fighting words, this thing. Or probably most of you are like this. Like, hard to take in, isn't it? So let me talk to you about, I think, one of the most important reasons why we believe in a triune God. Well, we believe because Scripture and God declared. But I want you to think about this. A triune God is, by His very nature, a God of relationship and love. From all of eternity, God has been a God of relationship and love. See, with a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is a built-in essence of relationship. And when we say God is love, well, to love needs an object of love, correct? You can't just love indiscriminately. There's an object of love. So God, the Father, loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves the Son. The Son loves the Holy Spirit. Our God, different from any other religion, is a God of love and relationship by His very nature. How did God love us? God so loved the world that he what? Gave us his only son. He gave us what is most precious. He sent the son out of love and relationship. And what did the son do out of love and relationship? He went to the cross so that we may be forgiven and in full relationship and full love with the father. And what did the Holy Spirit do out of love? Out of love for the Son? He convicts us of sin. He sanctifies us and empowers us all to the glory and praise of the Son and to the Father. This is the God whom we worship. One God in three persons. You cannot say a wife is a wife is a wife, nor can you say a husband is a husband is a husband, nor can you say a God is a God is a God. If you do that in your spousal, your marriage relationship, you end up most likely in divorce. If you do that with our God, you end up in hell. 
But God does not desire that. He desires for you to come to a full understanding of who he is. So how should you love God? God actually told us already, hear, O joy, church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. All to the praise of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.